Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I apparently messed up something with the um, call-in feature. Let me try to fix that real quick. Everyone feels so blocked but not reported. Um, why can I not remember? This is going to make for very good audio while I try to remember how to fix this. Edit room, there we go. Um, public, allow all participants to call in. All right. That should be good now. Uh, you right for just asking questions. Anyway, guys, welcome back to my show. It's been a minute. Uh, just ended up not doing this for a couple of weeks just for various reasons, but all is well. Um, the I, I'm talking. I want to talk a little bit about the Elon Musk stuff. Uh, you know, let's just start with Oscar. Let's jump right into it. I've got a spiel about Elon Musk, but Oscar, what's up? So, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I appreciate your uh, appreciate your time. Um, I guess the, I, I didn't want to start talking about the Elon Musk stuff. So if you really want to stay on that, I'm totally no, no, no. Ask that. whatever you want. Great. So um, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, you know, one thing I like about your work is that you're very humane to the people you're uh, covering, which I think is like where a lot of um, identity politics stuff falls down. So you know, uh, noted and appreciated. Um, you know, I probably like land a little bit to the right of you on some of this stuff, but still enjoy your work. I wonder, you. like, you follow, like, I wonder if, if you follow, like, Wesley Yang's work, and I'm, like, not really looking for one of these, like, mudslinging things. I'm just, like, he's, just, like, another person that's sort of covering us, like, some of the similar beats, but, like, I would say a little more dogmatic, but he's also a serious thinker, which a lot of people covering this space just plainly are not. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm just sort of curious, like, he's done, you know, like, one, uh, he did an interview with um, a guy who was sort of reporting on a meltdown at a union, which sort of really uh, spoke to the themes about class and um, identity that I think you've cut, you sort of mentioned, which I totally agree with you about. Uh, I'm very educated, my, like my parents are not, and I think that actually gives me a very different perspective from a lot of my peers. Um, so yeah, I'm curious if you like covered his work and like, you know, he sort of like got probably got to a slightly more dogmatic position on some of this gender stuff, but like, yeah, just, you know, open-ended. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I do like Wesley and I like his work. Um, I, I think it's maybe better when he does like longer form written stuff. Uh, than on... <laughs> you say that about a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my and myself too. Than it is on Twitter. Um, I'm I'm like I'm behind on everything, including keeping a close enough eye on his newsletter. But no, I mean, I think he's been good at like, um, you know, I, I sometimes the folks who write about gender stuff embrace almost like martial rhetoric, like we're in some like war against like the the gender hordes, which I just disagree with and 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 find less than useful for various reasons. Um, it's so, also kind of self fulfilling, right? Like when you take that, that yeah, sort of becomes a justifying thing for people. To yes, yeah, you. I'm at war with you, so then yeah. each side yeah. can just justify cruel behavior and cruel language. So I think he sometimes falls into that a little bit. Um, the fact of the matter, I mean, the issue underlying all this is like. And I mentioned this in a book review I, I did last year for the Times. Like um, some of the claims being made by some of the self ID self ID as a philosophy brings with it um, certain questionable outcomes. Uh, this idea that you are what you say you are, no questions asked. Anyone who does ask questions is a bigot. That's an idea that deserves to be critiqued, and not everyone who critiques it is going to do so in like a kind, gentle, super ecumenical way and and you know i think wesley gets a little more heated about it but i think there is something there worth critiquing um especially because often mainstream outlets haven't really critiqued it 
Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. That's a fair answer. Yeah, I, and, I, I, and I think this is all doubly true when it comes to like school stuff because like I, yeah. I don't I don't think it's super widespread, but there's clearly some training materials that are trying to bring self ID to five and six year olds to situations where where it should be developmentally appropriate and isn't. So yeah, yeah. Did you um just curious? Did you follow the uh, the house hearing on white? I I don't even know if the house hearing on white supremacy was like Raskin's kind of like a sort of reality TV moment. I saw the the. Lowlights involving Alejandro Caraballo. <laughs> I was debating writing about it, but basically, um, I mean, I often disagree with Andy No. Andy No posted video of this. Basically, Caraballo was, in my view, humiliated because she said that over the top online rhetoric can cause violence. And then, um, this Republican Congresswoman whose name I'm blanking on put up a, on yeah, a big placard, blown up, put up a tweet of Caraballo saying, the Supreme Court justices should never know another moment of peace again. So if I write about this, I'm going to do it in the context. I think progressives have a pretty big grifter problem on issues mm. pertaining to basically the most hot and button issues like counter extremism, counter disinformation. Um, I, I don't understand how Caraballo is seen as an expert on this stuff. Other than that, she has the Harvard credential and she tweets a lot. It really seems like if you tweet enough, about these subjects, you will be seen not only as a source, but as such an expert, you should mm. testify before Congress. I, in my view, she regularly spreads disinformation and yeah. engages in exactly the sort of rhetoric she criticizes. So A, it's a little bit maddening to see her treated as an expert. B, if you want, if overall you favor the Democratic project over the Republican project, you shouldn't want them to humiliate themselves with viral clips like that. Yeah, if you don't mind, just the, the the other person who appeared at that hearing and seemed to have gotten some Twitter airtime was this, um, uh, I think she's like an Indian-American woman, uh, Namani. Azra Namani, right? Who's, you know, seems like a super, and a fascinating, really fascinating case, right? Because, you know, she 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 just is very authentic, um, which gives us, I think, an air of authority. Um and what's kind of curious about her is she sort of worked on the end up working on the Glenn Youngkin campaign, right? So sort of like the poster child for sort of like, I mean, poster child, that's a bit condescending, but you know, some sort of exemplar of someone who might be sort of persuaded by the democratic project being compromised by like what you're saying, right? Yeah. Like there's always this tension of like, do, do all, you know, it's like, I don't like this stuff. Well, is it enough for me to switch sides? And I think like you're always very clear that you're not, but like, I think, you know, she's sort of like maybe, just the other side of that line. Yeah, and it, it just, I don't know. I just, I, I, it doesn't help, I think, that people like Caraballo be like our, our exemplars. But um, anyway, thanks for the call. Good, uh, good questions and comments. Ian, what is up? Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Uh, Ian, what's going on? Hey, Jesse, how you doing? Good, how are you? Not too bad. Um, I caught you on Big to Defer yesterday. I thought it was really good, uh, thoughtful Thank you. Uh, discussion. Um, I was, and maybe you can't say anything about this uh, because of you know professionalism, but I thought it was interesting that you that nobody really addressed the morning shots dust up um, like a week ago. Oh, you mean with uh, Alberto Cairo? Exactly right, Doctor. Yeah. You, oh, you just mean because Beg to Differ is a uh, bulwark podcast? Bulwark. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. I, I can't read the tea leaves. I don't know if this is true, but I. Oh, you know what? I should say. Mona Char Char Charin, Karin, um, she reached out to me forever ago, so my appearance wasn't related to that. Uh, 
I could see from their point of view, maybe not wanting to get too into it. Like I got my correction out of them. Folks who don't know what this is about, just Google my name in Alberto Cairo. You'll pick it up. But um, yeah, I could see them wanting to keep it more substantive and above the belt because there's a lot to discuss beyond um, internet drama, even ridiculous internet drama like that was. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> Jenny, what's up? Missed your show for the last couple of weeks. Thank you. Uh, good to be back. Yeah. Uh, so in 2009, I became friends with a woman named Sherry Kane, who is an investigative journalist working on human trafficking stories. And in 2011, she wrote quite a definitive article that she asked me to post on the front of my blog. And it was outing a nest of child traffickers in Los Angeles. And I pinned that post to my blog for seven months and it got a ton of traffic. And that year my life changed because these child traffickers noticed that I pinned this article and my life became very interesting. And Sherry actually died. And um, since that time, I've just kind of followed the child trafficking stories that are out there. And I kind of feel like right now, everything's just kind of building to this big volcanic eruption around these stories of child trafficking. You have Elon Musk saying things like, I wasn't aware of how much Twitter was being used around the trafficking of children. And you have Project Veritas doing their big story on the child trafficking down on our southern border. And you have all these people who've been deplatformed from Twitter coming back and they're all talking about child trafficking. And so it just kind of feels like there's a swirling that's happening right now around who's being brought back to Twitter. Why were they deplatformed? I was deplatformed myself. You know, what's going on here? And it's, it's just a very exciting time for me because I've been involved in the story for so long. And I, in my personal work on my Substack, have been focusing on a nest of these people in Utah who are being outed right now as child traffickers. And there's a link to Ukraine. And so it's like all of these big stories are just right there in front of us. And everybody's kind of going like, what's going on? So I just wondered if you had any thoughts around all of that. I don't. It's unfortunately just not a subject I know anything about. So I can't, um, can't really offer any insights other than that I'm obviously against child trafficking. Well, I appreciate that. But I'm, I'm watching it all closely and looking forward to some people being arrested. So thanks for letting me participate. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, Rachel, what's up? Rachel, you got to, oh, oh. there we go. Okay, so I had a quick question on the trans issue, since you're sort of a subject matter expert. Is there an alternative uh, treatment for people who don't want to transition? This is something that like a lot of detransitioners complain about. And um, in, I want to say 2018, a detransitioner named Carrie Callahan uh, tried to host a panel at, um, I think the U.S. PATH conference in Philadelphia, and they basically activists shut it down. Um, uh, I'm just going to mute you for a sec because there's some background noise. Uh, um, Rachel, I'll, I'll get you back so you can respond to what I say. Uh, yeah, okay. So the, the tension here is if you talk about uh, psychotherapy, talk therapy for gender dysphoria, a subset of trans activists will be, for understandable reasons and because of their own experience, say, oh, so you're saying like conversion therapy, like trying to talk someone out 
of being trans or to convince them they shouldn't be trans. Um, I think we basically have no data on what would happen if like, the, que the, the question is like sort of what, uh, I think it's more a bigger question for kids. It's a question for everyone. Everyone could benefit from good therapy, but like with a 14 year old, you want to know where the gender feelings come from and to what extent they're, they're deeply rooted and not less likely to change. And to what extent they're maybe caused by recent trauma, which can happen or social influence, which can happen. So, um, I don't think we have any good data on how psychotherapy can help. And detransitioners have complained that they wish they'd had some therapy, therapeutic options other than transitioning. Because I think a lot of trans people encounter the message, either you physically transition or you'll inevitably kill yourself, which is not borne out by the data and a horrible thing to say. So, no, I mean, I, I don't think right now we have good options for people who don't want to transition physically other than like, social transition, seeing what kind of like hairstyle and stuff works for them. But I think it's an area where um, because people are so scared of brushing up against conversion therapy, there's not really an open and honest discussion about the connection between talk therapy and trans people and transitioning, if, if that makes sense. It, it does. I was just thinking even adults, if you're a man and you're 50 and you're interested in transitioning, you may not have a good result. So I thought if there was some alternative treatment that allowed people to manage their feelings of dysphoria without a transition. I, that might be I, yeah. helpful for people who don't want to transition for any variety of reasons. I, I do think in some cases, so like this whole effort to destigmatize uh, trans identities, one of the unfortunate side effects of that is like, it treats all trans people the same or all gender questioning people the same. So I think like um, just the, the scenario you gave me where it's like a 50 year old male, I think sometimes there's like a sexual element to that. Not always, but sometimes. And it might be as great as destigmatization is, it might help people more if they knew that like sometimes this is a sexual thing. Maybe you should find a safe outlet for it. Maybe this doesn't mean you should actually transition, which is a daunting thing to do at age 50. But I, I just think it's messages like that that would like be common sense from a therapeutic perspective are just hard. It's hard to say that publicly because you will get pilloried for not being affirming enough or not being, um, you know, uh, enough of an ally. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, Thank you, I Richard. bought my dad your book for his uh, birthday last year and he really liked it. Oh, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm glad he liked it. I appreciate that, Rachel. Caleb, uh, what's the food? Hold on. I'm really interested in food right now. Is this a, Oh, it's a dog. It's, wait, is that the bread dog? Yeah. Dog. Uh, it's, it's a meme called loaf dog. It says, get, yeah, out of the, out, get off the counter, loaf dog. You're not actually bread. Someone will put jelly on you. You don't uh, want that. It harkens back to a time when the internet was a lot better. Uh, yeah. There's also the dog with the phone where it's like, hello, yes, this is dog. Do you that. know what that's actually from? What? That's actually from a really depressing uh, documentary about drug addicts in Yugoslavia. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Oh, wow. I had no idea. What, do you remember the name of the documentary? I do not remember the name. All but... right. I'm going to look that up. Uh-huh. But uh, so uh, I was wondering, have you heard uh, – I, I feel kind of awkward about saying this because people are going to accuse me of using a dog whistle. Have you heard about uh, the this, – this is this actually stopped – finished shooting like two months ago. Did you hear about Ken Jeong's new movie? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Uh. It's uh, it's a, it's about the uh, supposed it's in the wake of the stop Asian hate stuff, 
but it's really weird because they sh it's set in rural Wyoming, and it's which doesn't really match up with a single one of the assaults on Asian people that I heard about. Nope, it does not. And it just, you know, here's where the dog whistle comes in, in, in where people think I'm saying that it, it's that I'm trying to be like anti-black, but it's just like he 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 wrote a fictional thing which isn't really like any of the real incidents that happened. So it was like a film inspired by Stop Asian Hate, but it, it sounds like it's sort of portraying this. Um, yeah, I I, 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 I haven't read that much about it to be yeah. honest. I just saw some people tweeting about it a while ago, and it stuck in my head. Well, it sounds like sort of like the the liberal fantasy of how this stuff. Yes, is. yes, like exactly. Rural white Trump supporters attacking Asians because they hate. Yeah, Asians. I, I mean, you, I mean, you could. I mean, if, if if you talked about like a lot of the, I don't have like the actual demographics of the perpetrators, but you could talk about how effects that uh, really hurt the black community end up like going out and cause like poverty ends up increasing crime and which affects people outside the black community, but yeah. you're just not brave enough to. I think a, a fairly large subset of the attacks also involved like people with, un, I think tr people with untreated mental health yes, problems, which is another problem. Which, yeah. And uh, prior assaults, which are concentrated. In in, just, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just want to mention that. And uh, I, I didn't realize this until just now, but, Ken Jeong was the one who was in blackface in that as a dark elf in that controversial episode of Community, so that might. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Uh, uh -huh. I'll look into that. That seems that film seems like an interesting cultural artifact. Uh, it might be yeah. good for me to. I'll, I'll check it out, Caleb. I appreciate that. Okay, thanks. Bye. Now I feel guilty, but I'm just like laughing at this at this screenplay where like. Oh God, whatever. It's it it almost reminds me of the the same level of. Detachment from reality as like the Jesse Smollett attack, where it's just like, yeah, that happened. But anyway, what's up, Andrew? Hey, Jesse. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, no complaints. I, I kind of felt like that scene in Goodwill Hunting where uh, uh, Matt Damon gets told that uh, by Ben Affleck that he hopes he never sees him again when you were gone for a few weeks. <laughs> well, I think I that felt, applies I more like to free. <laughs> I think that applies more to much more to Twitter than this. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that just that thought went through my head. And then uh, I am curious about your thoughts on uh, the Elon choices for moderating on Twitter, and what your preferred paradigm would be for how all that stuff should work. Yeah, I'm working on a newsletter about this, but I, I it it seems very solipsistic. So Elon Musk Musk openly said that the reason so he you know he's letting a lot of people back on, including Andrew Andrew Anglin, who's an actual Nazi. Yeah. He won't let um um. Alex Jones back on because Elon Musk lost an infant child, which is horrible. So he says he's particularly sensitive to issues involving children who are dead. But mm -hmm. that it, it, that tells us right away that this the, the standards are just going to be whatever offends Elon Musk, which is not workable. So the same thing's happening here. Elon Musk, for anyone who didn't see, his child, whose name is Lil X. Do I have that right? Uh, I think that's a fake thing that they do for the the press because if you combine those letters in a certain way it's a very normal name oh little x okay gotcha um whatever the kid's name is uh his, his kid was in a car his very small child was in a car that was like followed by some creepy guy elon musk decided this was the fault of an account that tracks his private jet he hasn't provided proof of that that account got shut down 
and Elon Musk just announced that anything that provides the exact location of a person will now be shut down. So, yeah, unless I'm missing something, Elon Musk's. Uh, oh, and also I should say, um, a, a, a private jet, like all you know, legit jets, has publicly available flight data. So this is like a textbook case of when you should allow free speech. Are you allowed to post yeah. public data? Elon Musk, the big free speech defender, as soon as that makes his life a little bit more difficult or he perceives it as such, the principle's out the window. We're going to ban those sorts of posts. And what's funny is he's using the exact sort of hysterical language you see progressives use. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he's like, you're posting assassination coordinates. So Yeah, unless- I mean, well, to, yeah. To, be, to be fair to him, if someone did that to my kid, I don't, I, I don't think I would keep my cool very well. But on the, the other hand, like this speaks to the, the overall problem, which is no single person should have that power. Because there, right. there will always be something for which you are too sensitive to make a clear-headed judgment and for which no person could mount a reasonable defense against you. Exactly. That's uh, I mean, that's, that's well put. And I'm not, yeah, I, to be clear, yeah. um, how could he not lose his cool? It's his kid involved. But yeah, yeah. Should, like, uh, should we, should Twitter policy be just like whatever has happened to Elon Musk this, you know, if he no, gets... No, absolutely, absolutely yeah. not. It, it, it should be... Uh, and I, I think I've spoke about this before, and I think maybe I've done a poor job of explaining what it is. It, it should be a republic where you have rights as a user of the platform, like a citizen of the platform. You you vote on what the policy should be, and then you have some sort of transparent trial and appeals process if you get moderated by somebody. And then there's another extra step in there. But that that that's the only thing that makes this tenable in a free society. In yeah. My well, we've talked about this before. My skepticism was not with the idea, but just with like the resources yeah. it would require. But um, uh, well, that, that that's why you have to add an extra step. You, you like you have to make it cost money to both. Like one, if you are over banning people, and they keep getting turned over an appeal, it needs to start costing you money to you know to keep doing it because there there are plenty of people who hate people for free, but who don't hate anyone if it costs fifteen dollars. Right. And on the reverse side, if you keep, you know, winning defenses and, and stuff like that, it needs to be, you know, it needs to get more expensive to even attempt it. And, and uh, I, I'm missing a step here because I'm the drive through for Panera Bread for my family. But um, that you, you, you would have to just introduce some sort of cost uh, to, to run through the process. Like if you keep appealing, right, and you keep losing, it would just you just increase the cost of the appeal. Yeah, Um yeah, I just think the broader. I mean, I'm I'm borrowing this from just Heidi's comment, but like, uh, I think at a certain point, Elon Musk should just acknowledge he doesn't. He he's a billionaire. He acts like a billionaire. Billionaires don't like it when you yeah. track their private jets, which is yeah. something we're allowed to do because it's public data. So I, I think people who expect him to be an actual uh, stalwart for free speech are we're deluded and are in for disappointment. Matt Iglesias has pointed out that a lot of his ideals don't seem to really extend to China where he has significant business interests. Yeah. So I think he's a pretty uh, disappointing uh, uh, figure. Yeah. Well, we're, we're all tainted when we touch the real world to, to one extent or another. So I, I guess I'm not as negative on, uh, negative on him from that perspective, just because I don't know. I think the guy's gone crazy from working 120 hours a week, which by all reports, he, he actually does do. Yeah. Um, or and from I, being and, on, and from being on Twitter too much. Yeah, being on Twitter, I think, is his only uh, (laughs) – 
and this is why I think he's gone nuts. That's his only real outlet outside of work to talk to. That's people. extremely unhealthy. I can't imagine. Uh, that. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. He's... After. Uh, thank you, thank you, Andrew. Appreciate the call. Kyle, what is up? Hey, Jesse. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to get your kind of opinion on uh, kind of the journalism side of this, the Twitter files. Um, I don't know if you caught uh, Matt Taibbi stepped into the lever call in show a few days ago um, and kind of got uh, super defensive. I thought in what should have probably been a pretty friendly environment, uh, people were kind of asking questions about the motivations behind the Twitter files and Elon Musk. Um, and he took a very hard stance that, uh, the motivations of your sources just absolutely do not matter at all, um, which I thought was a weird, I mean, I've, I have a ton of respect for Matt Taibbi and I really like his work, but it seemed like a weird stance to take in terms of, uh, I mean, Elon Musk is a, just a known liar and manipulator of media to choose his stocks and whatever else he needs to do. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say that, you know, obviously you don't want to just reject stories out of hand because you don't agree with the politics or something of a source, but what are your thoughts on like how you would, you know, interpret or integrate the the opinions and politics of sources and and like their motivations for how you evaluate their stories yeah so i mean i think matt might have been responding to like some of the dumbest takes on twitter which is basically that you know him and barry are just like lackeys of elon musk and and inherently unreliable because musk chose them which i would agree with him that that's a silly argument on the other hand um if you really said the motivation of your source doesn't matter at all you know, I'd want to know the full context of that claim on his part. It, it clearly matters because it seems like Elon Musk is trying to make the old regime look as bad as possible, which would make him look like a better alternative and be able to allow him to spread the idea that he's cleaning up shop and, and steering the ship back in the right direction. So of course that matters. It all, it also matters from the point of view of like asking which materials is he releasing versus not releasing. Um, there might be, be good coverage of that. I I'm just haven't seen about exactly like what the process is for what did and didn't get released. But if it's a select, I mean, it's somewhat selective. It's not like they released all the company's materials forever. So, uh, no, I think must motivations, uh, matter a great deal. And if I had taken that story, I would have made sure that I could have included that, that issue of how Musk fits into it and what his goals are in launching the Twitter files. So. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, Tybee has stated that the, the requirements that were put on him to, to publish on Twitter and to have like the attribution to Twitter employees, those seem pretty anodyne. But from a journalist perspective, are there any like requirements from a from a source that you that would like make, give you pause that would you know kind of be a, a no go for you? Oh, yeah, there's tons. I mean, even just like the control sources will sometimes uh, try to exert over quotes where like. It really depends on your relationship to them and what the story is getting at. But like a source is like, we can have an on the record conversation, but afterwards you have to, well, I guess it wouldn't be on the record in this case, but afterwards you have to let me approve quotes and I can edit quotes before you publish them. That would be too much. Um, any sort of uh, precondition about what the final form of the story will take or what my, the argument of the piece would be, would be completely off the table. So if a, if I w if I got access to Facebook files and they for whatever reason they're like we want you to publish this on Facebook first, I would not view that as a deal breaker. But there's a lot of other stuff I could see a tech company saying that would be a deal breaker just because there's stuff I could see any source saying that would be a deal breaker. Cool. Thanks for your thoughts.
Thanks, Kyle. Good questions. Uh, Nicole, what is up? Hi. Um, am I off mute? Okay, yes. Hello. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. Yeah, just two quick things. Um, first, I just wanted to give, like, props to you and Katie over the past few weeks, especially on Twitter with, I think there, I mean, there's just this rise in, like, broken brain discourse around around grooming, around, like, child sex trafficking that's, like, clearly reminiscent of, like, satanic panic, basically, of, like, the early 90s and 80s. And it seems that rather, I don't know, it seems like a lot of the heat is not coming from the left this time, and I don't know, just people are ridiculous, basically. Yeah, the so, Yo, the Yoel Roth stuff we found very frustrating, but folks can yes, Google that's exactly, I forgot his name, but yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, keep, keep, keep your head up, keep your strength, whatever. Thank um, you. <laughs> and then the second thing, um, thanks to um, your podcast, I got introduced to the Race to Dinner um, thing with Cyra Rao and Regina Jackson. Um, nice. I just wanted to point you, uh, there's a Dr. Phil episode where they were on this week. So basically my favorite people on my favorite show. It was amazing. Um, and I also watched their documentary, uh, Deconstructing Karen. And I know I just found it so fascinating um, because I think so much of it is about just like, and I'm a white woman, like the ex anxieties of white women to avoid being like, you know, that picture in, like, 1964 of, like, a woman, like, screaming at, like, a black student trying to go to school. Like, I think there's, yeah. just, there's like, this inherent fear of, like, white women, like, not wanting to be that. So because of that, like, they'll do anything, like, to pay, like, hundreds of dollars to go to a dinner and be yelled at about why they're racist. Uh, it, it's interesting. We actually have a upcoming episode where we have a, a guest who um, got to know the Race to Dinner girls for a, a documentary uh, podcast she's working on about related subjects i don't i don't i literally don't know if i'm allowed to say this yet it's not like a it won't be a super big surprise or anything it, although it was a good episode but one of the points i'm curious to get your thoughts because one of her points was like that sort of guilt just doesn't really work on men and you know when when you mentioned that photo i thought of another photo from my hometown in boston which is a black guy literally sorry a white guy literally using an american flag to try to stab a black guy during the busing riots and of course there's horrific photos of lynchings with a lot of male participants so i don't know do you just like obviously men if if our view is that in 2022 whites need to atone personally which is a whole other thing but you would think men would have at least as much to atone for if not more but they're just not asked to in the same way yeah no it's interesting because i mean like the idea of the whole karen of like the pup like one of the things on dr phil like i guess she's ups karen and she got like the cops called in her because she refused to wear a mask at a UPS store or something. Yeah. And I just feel like those, I mean, you don't really see viral stories about that. Like you do see like clearly like mentally ill men, like yelling racist epithets at people, but you don't, it's just like, there is something satisfying. And I hate to say this, but like maybe I'm just a self-hating woman. There is something satisfying to see like. Like the Karens like, get their comeuppance. Yeah. Which is horrible because. I don't know. It's something, it's something I definitely, I, I have some internal work I need to do too, because <laughs> there is, there is definitely like some type of entertainment and like schadenfreude in that. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm excited to listen to that episode. Um, I'm happy to be a guest as an average white woman, if you ever want to hear my take. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, thanks so much. Thank you, Nicole. I mean, I already feel very guilty about platforming a white woman in, in the form of Katie. So I don't know about that, but uh, I appreciate the offer. Alex uh, will be our last caller. Alex, how's it going? I think he will be if he can unmute. 
The um, the only other I, I sort of got to the point, and Alex, just unmute if you when you're able. Uh, the only other point I wanted to make, my sort of spiel about Elon Musk, I, I was able to make it in response to a caller. The only oh, Alex, what's up? Hello. Okay. Well, Alex will hopefully get back eventually. Uh, the only other point, yeah, I and and I sort just, of can you hear me? Yeah. How's it going? I can hear you now. Hello. You there, man? Can you hear me? I guess yeah. I just had a question. I guess about the whole Elon thing. Um, you know, since it does you're 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 coming in really soft. Is there a way to boost the volume? Dictatorship is if you can leave. Sorry, I, Alex, I, I you able to hear me? Ago. I'm sorry. Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, we're having sorry, we're having some tech issues. Alex, just call back next time. You were you were really soft, and it sounded like you just couldn't couldn't hear what I was saying. Um. I'll just wrap it up. The only other point I want to make, and I, I get tired of making the point about people being disingenuous in bad faith because it's just in the world of social media, it's just always true. But it, to see people celebrating these random journalists getting suspended from Twitter, I guess they've now been reinstated. It really does look like Elon exerted some influence to get random journalists suspended just, I don't know, for criticizing him. It, it was all the shit we complained about before Elon came on. The, the lack of transparency, the potentially politicized nature of decisions about moderation and suspension. So it's not good. Um, it, and it's not – you're not being like a, an adult if you're like, well, they did it to us. We should do it to them, which is – I just think a lot of Elon Musk um, fans really fall victim to this idea of like we're in control now. Now we're going to do the exact same shit to the other side, which like – no, if you care about free speech, you care about free speech, and you should want the whole process to be transparent. And, and in general, you should want journalists to not get kicked off Twitter because that's bad. So I don't think any of this is that controversial. But, yeah, we'll see. Elon Musk does not uh, – he seems pretty erratic. I do like the theory that he all he does is work, and then instead of having normal real-life activities, he's just on Twitter, which is such a recipe for uh, – going crazy so uh all right that being said i'm gonna log off of this and go sign on to twitter uh thank you guys for listening as always i would just ask you to spread the word about the show i had some good turnout today uh but yeah thank you and i hope you have a good rest of your weekend bye